Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. What you doing down here, you man? Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Set and Captain's Football Podcast with Owen and Ken. Hi, Owen. I'm Owen. That's Ken. Hi, Ken. Back in the early 2000s, Chelsea signed a Champions League winner, a two-time La Liga champion, who turned out to be one of the worst signings in the club's history. But try as they might, they couldn't quite shame Winston Bogard into leaving the club and taking his exorbitant salary with him. This is in the pre-Abramovich era when money was, uh, I don't know how tight it was, but there were, you know, it wasn't quite as free-flowing as it turned out to be a couple of years later. So they banished him to the reserves, forced him to train with the kids, hawked him around to other clubs. None of it mattered to our Winston, who later said, why should I throw millions away when it's already mine? <laughs> That's a good point. He also said, I may be one of the worst buys in the history of the Premiership, but I don't care. <laughs> so it was that kind of attitude that didn't exactly endear him to the media in England. And the reason I bring this up is I don't know if Bastian Schweinsteiger is going to take such a belligerent approach to his current situation at Old Trafford, but it sure would be fun if he does. What a way to celebrate your 32nd birthday. Oof. Being told by Jose Mourinho to clear your locker and get the hell out of his sight because you're training with the kids now. Would you, you would call it banished, though, wouldn't you? You always hear that these players have been banished to the reserves. I would say banished. Yeah. Um, exiled doesn't really... Exiled has more of the, the you know, the potential for a return, hmm. you know? Um, banished is, is more is more final. I always get the impression that the everybody at the club, the entire staff are around when this banishment occurs. Uh, <laughs> and you know he's ordered he's, he's, he's officially banished and they all bow their heads slightly and try to avert their eyes as Schweinsteiger walks from the beautiful opulent first team dressing room yeah. he probably doesn't even know where the reserve team dressing room is he has to go and find it into the reserve cabina yeah. and then they all and nobody mentions him again in the first team no no one will no one looks at him you know he's, he's, he's on his way past all the players he's looking at them you know Wayne Juan no one <laughs> nobody you dig out here. nobody even wants to look at him we'll give you some report on sport music to back it up here yeah. Um, so, I mean, how how bad is this situation? Uh, is it is it really bad? Is it is it just business? Nah, it's not just business. Not according to Tobias Schweinsteiger, brother of Bastian, brother, yeah, okay. who tweets 
Not that enigmatically or cryptically. <laughs> no respect. Uh, no respect. And uh, I don't think it's that much of a leap to suggest that he might be talking about Jose Mourinho's uh, attitude to his brother, whose birthday it was. Owen, whose birthday it was on this day. Um, what age to say is? 32. But I thought he was older for some reason. He looks older. <laughs> I mean, during the Euros, he actually started to remind me a bit of Louis van Gaal. <laughs> you know, um, van Gaal actually may- maybe even looks a little slimmer. I mean, Schweinsteiger doesn't look, hasn't looked since he joined Manchester United like a player who's in great shape. I remember talking to you, uh, I think I was over in Las Vegas at the time, it would have been July, when, July last year when uh, Schweinsteiger joined. Mm. And I uh, hadn't really been thinking much about it. And this this was kind of puts me, oh, they're signing Schweinsteiger. What do you think of that? And I said, yeah, Schweinsteiger, pretty good. Maybe, could maybe even get like uh, four seasons out of that guy. <laughs> but, you know, he, he didn't really uh, justify that billing. Murph made the point that the worst moment for him during the Euros, mm-hmm. the moment that maybe portrayed him in a negative light was on, on the surface was the best moment is when he came on and scored, scored the goal it, it was the insurance goal wasn't it the second goal in a victory against I can't remember who it was now but he cartwheeled off in celebration cartwheeled he didn't cartwheel off he wheeled off in celebration yeah and ran sort of half a length of the field back to his own touchline and even back further to set himself up for the to defend the kickoff and it was just that he was given so much free time to run by himself that you could observe his pace, his running style, his gait, his physique, none of which was hugely impressive. It was a very, it's a pretty bad, you know, a little bit churlish to be having a pop at the man yeah. after he's just scored a goal for his country at the Euros. Yeah. But it just didn't look great. No, and, and I mean, for a player whose game was uh, was really based on a f- phenomenal underlying athleticism, you know, for a long time, I mean, that was what Schweinsteiger had going for him, you know, a champion skier, uh, you know, in his youth always was one of the fittest players on pitch when he stopped being that and he has stopped being that um, he was never technically the best player uh, intelligent I think tactically uh, tactically aware uh, and a good character although not the kind of character Jose Mourinho likes uh, I think from Jose Mourinho I mean first of all that f- that vague physical resemblance to Louis van Gaal <laughs> maybe was troubling to Mourinho in some sort of subconscious way uh, but, but, you know, to have a figure who was associated with the previous manager so closely, the failed regime of Louis van Gaal, I think it was one of his first decisions when he got that job was uh, Schweinsteiger's not going to have any part in this team. I think there's a couple of other players in that boat. Young uh, Daly Blind. Mm. I mean, Daly Blind, is, is he necessarily a player you'd, you'd immediately boot out if you were taking over at Manchester United? I don't think so. No, I wouldn't have thought so. No. Um, is he a good central defender? No, I mean, he doesn't really have the physique I think to play in that position but uh, he's an intelligent footballer he's a great passer of the ball and you know he's a useful player to have in your squad I would say apart from the fact that Reno sees him as essentially another little Louis van Gaal head a little Louis van Gaal disciple uh, there's obviously Juan Mata who well he's got his own history with uh, Jose Mourinho um, and I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be there Um so yeah, the, I mean, as to what Schweinsteiger is going to do, um, I I think it's very difficult to, to remain at a club when you're being treated in this way. Bogard, I suppose, was prepared to do it. He was almost he was almost making a point. I don't think that Schweinsteiger is in that position. I think the, Schweinsteiger could get another team. The reason that Bogard was the name that came into my head there when I was trying to think of somebody who's 
been banished in the past. Was there was also didn't he used to get a helicopter? Or I think he was based largely in Amsterdam. He wasn't even based in London, so he'd he'd fly over and train with the reserves at like whatever time in the morning and then fly back to Amsterdam that evening. It was just like that. Yeah, it was almost like he was just belligerently making a yeah. a point to his club. I don't know quite what... The, but he, reti- he didn't get a club after that. Maybe he didn't want a club after that. He had a good career. And he well, who would, hire, who would hire him? I mean, he yeah. hadn't played in three years or whatever. It was kind of like his career was over, but it didn't matter because he made so much money that, you know, it was, it was okay. And in fairness, the guy had already won the Champions League. You know what I mean? It wasn't as though he'd... You know, he he'd also got the trophies already. He just needs to make sure he got some money well, as well. Schwein, Schweinsteiger has the trophies already, so maybe he'll feel I can stick it out here. I mean, I might last longer than Jose. Who knows if things go horribly wrong in the first season? Well, that's you know that's the thing that because because you you never really know how these things are going to go, do you? I mean, look at Jose Mourinho's Instagram because you know I obviously do almost every day. <laughs> uh, Jose Mourinho's latest uh, photograph has him sitting in his office. Uh, this is last. Uh, this is yesterday. He posted it, and I think it's um, that the the sun, the light outside is pretty low, so it's either very early in the morning or late in the evening. He's toiling at his desk, mm. uh, wearing a pair of glasses, which you don't usually see him do. Uh, reading glasses, obviously, and uh, he has he's put it, he's put it up essentially more or less without comment, and uh, all the responses are hashtag save Schweinsteiger hashtag save Schweinsteiger from. You know, tons and tons and tons of people. Uh, and you go through his photographs and they've all got this, all of the comments. Mm. Every single recent comment going back, going back, going back. How far can we go back? Okay, back to two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, which is a photo of Jose Mourinho holding up a Portuguese tart uh, and uh, congratulating the chef. That's the last That's the last one where you, you'll see where it's not just hashtag save Schweinsteiger. So I wonder who those people are. Are they... Bastian Schweinsteiger fans, Manchester United fans who are also Bastian Schweinsteiger fans. Beats by Dre fans. Beats by Dre fans. He's a big. I want to see this Beats by Dre movie. This this has got so much more to work with than the last Beats by Dre movie. So the last one was made to coincide with his decision to leave Bayern and go to Manchester United. Yeah. He managed to. (laughs) He managed to find a way to make a bit of extra. Dough. Extra dough on the side there by doing an ad for Beats by Dre in which he thanked the Bayern fans. But it was, it was, it was just a weird ad, actually. Bastian yeah. Ich liebe uh, Geld uh, Schweinsteiger. He, uh, he loves his club and... He loves those headphones. He, and he loves money. <laughs> <laughs> which of us, you know, ha, ha, I mean, which of us couldn't say the same things? You know, it's fair, it's fair enough. But, in, you know, it was basically him talking about how, oh, you know, it was, it was a difficult decision to make. I love this club with all my heart. You know, these are my people. And we've had great times. Uh, but now it's time for the next challenge. And he was looking at the window of his plane, you know, with his headphones on and on his way to Manchester, which was fine. But this... There's a lot more material here. You know, it's it's Schweinsteiger booted out by Jose Mourinho. And, what, and is this a, is it a power play? Would you really get rid of Schweinsteiger if you had like this World Cup winner, Champions League winner, um, hugely experienced player? Not a worthwhile player to have around. You know, you bring, if you're bringing in Paul Pogba, uh, this wonderful uh, talent who's still potential in a lot of ways. Mourinho does like generally historically has like pretty small first team squads though hasn't he? Yeah, I don't, he I don't think he necessarily wants 28 players knocking around the place. No he doesn't he 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 wants to bring them he, he yeah he does usually like to work with us because he he finds it difficult to 
work with players who aren't in the team. Yeah, he's a great man manager of the players men who are in the team. Exactly. So, so, and, and but I do wonder what's what's happening here because I mean I mentioned Pogba as though he's joining. It hasn't happened yet. It's been dragging on a long time, and I still think he will. Um, he'd really want to. Um, I mean, I was looking at an interview with Mourinho the other day. My, my relationship with Ed Woodward is very good. I give him options. You know, so he's saying I give, I give him a list of two or three guys. The play, he wouldn't say Pogba's name. The player, you know, is one of those players. And if it doesn't work out, we've got other options. If he comes back, if Ed Woodward comes back with one of those other options, I think he's going to have a problem on his hands. Um, I mean, remember that how, how this was. Remember this time last year at Chelsea. Jose Mourinho was unhappy that certain players he had told the club in April to sign had still not arrived. Uh, and he was, uh, he never really seemed to get out of the bad mood that put him in. Yeah. It started badly and it got worse. Uh, now, in this situation, at least Edward has provided a couple of guys that he wanted to that time, Mkhitary and Bailey. But I think it's quite important he gets the Sask guy because, I mean, you look at... Uh, you look at some of the other statistics from the close season. The Telegraph had a had a graphic showing how far everybody, uh, all the Premier League teams have flown in their preseason, all the miles they've covered. And obviously Tottenham are way out in front. <clears throat> Tottenham like to cover a lot of uh, distance. That's their ethic under Mauricio Pochettino. So it makes sense they've gone 10,000 kilometres more than anyone else in preseason. I think they're out in Australia. Um, which helps to explain that. But Chelsea, Leicester, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool and City. Now, if you saw Jose Mourinho out in China, he gave one of the sourest interviews I've actually seen him do ever. Uh, this was before the game they were supposed to play against Man City. Is this at the side of the, side of the pitch, no? It was, the, it was supposed to happen indoors, but then apparently got too hot. Yeah, we talked a bit about that, I think, when you were away last week. Not much, actually, about the interview itself, just about the circumstances surrounding it. <laughs> it was just... It was just one of those where I'm in a bad mood and I'm not going to make any effort to cover it up. Um, this is ridiculous. What are we all, you know, uh, all I want is to get my players out of here uninjured. I just want to bring my man back alive. This is the way he was talking. As though he'd been, he, he, he'd been posted to some perilous location, was under enemy fire, and just wanted to get his unit out. You know, I can't imagine that the marketing department was really that happy with Mourinho the way he was like if it was a friendly it's now a double friendly you know literally my players are just going to be gingerly picking their way around this pitch there's no no one is going to be taking any risks out there um, but why was he doing that He, well, or rather why was he out in China he was in China making money he's making money for the club they're, they're flying around China uh, playing. The, the match ended up being cancelled because the weather conditions uh, were too bad but you know flying out in China uh, going around China in intense heat uh, pollution, planes that fail to find their way to their destination. You know, th- this happened with the, the United squad. Half the squad was on a plane that had to make a landing elsewhere and eventually managed to get back to the hotel. You know, all this kind of stuff. They, they really could do without that, but they do it for the money. Um, what good is that if the money then doesn't get spent on the players he wants? It's like, why am I doing this for you? if you can't then go and use this extra income that we're generating to go and sign the player that I want you to sign. Why do I have to stand here posing in this photograph with Mr. Potato if I'm not going to get Paul Pogba at the end of it? If I'm not going to get him, then really do I need to do all this? You can already begin to see the sort of <laughs> potential fault lines here if Edward doesn't perform. Yeah, you got to assume they will get him. If they don't, it's dragged on for so long that 
it would it would go from this idea that it's a statement if they sign Paul Pogba that they can spend all this money on this great player. It's all one good. But the flip side of that is if they were, if, if, if it fell through, look, it could be by the time we are still we are still kind of assuming since Manchester United would be the only club in the market for this player that Juventus who just spent a huge uh, sum you know said, what, over 80 million euros on Gonzalo Higuain are going to need to sell somebody in order to make that money back but the other thing that had happened uh, and it was also last week was the um, the, the numbers business I, I don't know yet how involved Jose Mourinho was in that but uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic getting the number 9 Anthony Marshall having to take number 11 didn't really seem to be too happy with it I mean it's not as though Anthony Marshall is necessarily attached to that number 9 although his Instagram profile is Marshall 9 Um <laughs> I suppose he'll just have to get his head around 11. 11's okay. It's in it's in the one to ele- the all important 1 to 11 bracket. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so he knows but um the other thing was obviously he uh, Mourinho's Rooney his thing with Rooney. Now Rooney has done a uh exclusive interview with Martin Samuel um in the Daily Mail uh where he talks a lot about England which you know Whatever we can, we can maybe refer back to that, to that one day. But um, it's more interesting when he's talking about Jose Mourinho. Um, in terms of remember when Mourinho did his first press conference at uh, United, he said, "Oh, Rooney, his pass is great. Under no pressure, my pass is great as well. Um, he won't be a six or an eight; he'll be close to goal." Um, which is interesting because Rooney, oh, everything Rooney had said about this sort of positional debate in recent times had been. When he had expressed a preference, because he had lately gone to saying, "I just, I just want to be on the pitch." Mm. Um, everything that he had said was along the lines of, "That's where I see myself now," you know, in midfield. And Mourinho saying, "No, I don't see that at all." And now we have the interesting piece of information that Mourinho had actually gone to see him during the tournament, the Euro, the Euros, that is, and told him that he'd be playing as a forward not as a midfielder. This is why England were still in it, you know? <laughs> he might not have filled him with confidence about his own midfield performances ahead of the Iceland game. Yeah, er- early in the tournament, possibly even before the tournament, um, he says, uh, getting that mentality back from being a midfield player to being a goal scorer again is what I've been working on all, all pre-season. I've known for a long time I could play midfield if I had to. And the way United were playing as a team at the time, it was the role I most enjoyed. But Joseph's come in, he's seen me playing in another position for 10 years, scoring goals. That's what he wants me to do. I wasn't apprehensive at all. I was excited. So, Rooney's changed his changed his tune a lot on that uh, on that positional <laughs> preference. Much choice, yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's just trying to get on the field. That's the that's the name of the game. Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy uh, apparently in talks over in Hollywood. I mean, Leicester in America anyway uh, to talk about the his forthcoming biopic. I'm not sure when this is planned to be released, or indeed if it will ever actually happen. Uh, but talking about his life says it is carnage. I basically can't go out at the moment. I don't leave my house. I have put myself on a curfew, but without the tag on my ankle. Uh, this is Vardy, who does have experience of that from back in the day. Uh, I prefer to stay at home now and spend more time with the kids and on my computer. Does he mean console? Possibly, yeah. I don't know. Did we see any consoles or anything lying around when he had the party in his house? I don't know. I don't know if he's got one in his kitchen. Maybe you would. Um, maybe you'd have one in every room um, but I don't know he's uh, he's pretty excited he, he talks about Leicester he says uh, there's a forward momentum with the club and unfinished business in terms of what we can achieve because obviously Vardy you know 
if he if he had uh, gone with the conventional logic, would now be an Arsenal player. He would be, uh, you know, making friends with, palling up with Olivier Giroud, and uh, thinking about what he can uh, what he can achieve at the Emirates. But instead, he decided, no, I think I think this Leicester thing, I think we can keep getting better. He says we weren't supposed to win the league. Some say it was lucky we won, but I don't think you can be lucky over 38 games. To lose four games in 47 is not bad going. We're not supposed to win anything. We're only little Leicester, as everyone says. People still say it now. No one's given us a chance again, so we might as well enjoy it because that is what gets us the performances. He compared it to one of those fairground rides where you come up like out of a volcano. I don't know of what exactly he was talking about in that sense. Have you ever seen that? No. It's like one of those fairground rides, the volcano ones where you sit in a chair and just go, whoosh. I feel like the club is still going up. Splash Mountain, Disney World. I don't know. I don't know Splash Man. Is that not? You go down and splash into water and the water gets all over you and it's funny. I don't know, it was 22 years ago when I did it. <laughs> it was good though, I remember. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. No, Space Mountain, sorry, Space Mountain was the fourth Space one. Mountain Spl- was, Mountain roller was coaster, yeah, yeah, it was a roller yeah. coaster. Yeah. Now, uh, so Vardy uh, thinks they're going to get better. Uh, I mean, Arsenal trying to sign Mares, uh, but Ranieri's saying he's going to stay, but we know that things can change. Uh, Kante obviously has already left. I think without Kante, it's going to be very difficult for them to do what they did again. But, you know, I was saying that all last year as well. So, uh, so who knows? All right, that's it for Kennedy's Report on Sport. Timbuktu. Yo, listen up, here's the story. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside, blue hair. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. Don't kick around the pitch, they don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that, no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. Jonathan Wilson is ready to talk about the new Sunderland manager, David Moyes. Jonathan, we haven't had a chance to chat to you since Moyes took over and he's been talking quite a bit this week. He says that, well, he was put to him, would you take fourth from bottom if it was offered to you today? And he said, absolutely. I would, uh, I would just take being avo- avoiding relegation and uh, take it from there. Now, I don't know, is that a... It's not the most optimistic worldview. Is it a welcome dose of pre-season realism for Sunderland fans? Uh, I, I suspect most of them think that at the moment. Uh I mean, clearly long-term, you'd hope for more than that. But when you're forced to change your manager a couple of weeks before the season starts, when no signings have come in, when you've avoided relegation by the skin of your teeth in each of the last however many seasons it is now, then I think that's realistic. I think, I mean, Sunderland fans would take winning a game in August or September, which they haven't done for, for four years now. So, you know, 
they're, they're used to relegation battles. Um, and so, yeah, the first aim is, is, is simply to win that battle. If you can then win the battle against being in a relegation battle, then, then that's yeah. all the better. But uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that Moyes, with, with the same squad that... But I mean, Aldice's signings in January turned out to be very, very good. But with essentially the same same squad as last season, is there any reason to believe that Moyes will will drive them up to sort of I don't know eleventh or twelfth? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I think people recognise that, that this is a relegation battle, and, and that's that's the first job. Is he maybe underselling himself a little bit, though? I mean, David Moyes, it's it, it can be difficult to remember. Is actually a pretty good manager. You know, I mean, he he was as he pointed out in his press conference. Um, he, his last eight seasons at Everton, he was never out of the top eight. Um, you know, he's been in this league for a long time. When I look at the league table from last season, um, you know, Sunderland finished fourth from bottom, okay, but you know, Bournemouth, Palace, uh, you know, Palace were in free fall for a bit towards the end of the season. Uh, Watford, same deal. Uh, you know, West Brom don't look like they're going to get that many points ever. Um, you know, it's not as though this the league is is crammed with uh, crammed with superb um, teams. I, I'm not sure why uh, fourth from bottom is viewed as um, just seems a little bit underwhelming. Well, okay, what, what's the alternative? I mean, Tottenham aren't going to finish in the top. They're not going to qualify for the Europa League, are they? So, what, what, what's the, the you know the, the the great ambition? Yeah, I, I will inspire this club. I will lead them to to thirteenth. Yeah. I mean, you might as well say fourth bottom if you're going to say that. So. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the nice thing would be if, if we got to the end of March, and but maybe it's not. Maybe some of the fans even like relegation battles now. I mean, I was up at the Everton game, the, end, the second last game of last season, uh, and the atmosphere that night was fantastic. And, and people were saying that the Chelsea game, when they won three uh, two on the Saturday before that, so the, you know the penultimate side of the season, the third last game of the season for Sunderland, was the best atmosphere anybody could remember at, at the Stadium of Light. So m- maybe if you're a team like Sunderland. Um, who aren't realistically going to be, be challenging for anything meaningful? Maybe the, the the adrenaline surge of of having a terrible start of the season, suddenly winning games in April and May, is is the best you can hope for. Ah, come on! I mean, yeah, you, you got to think. You think about how many games you need to lose to be in that position in April May. Think about week by week, the deadening, the numbing sensation of defeat. Uh, People streaming out of the stadium of light, turning around to scream abuse at the manager uh, to call the players a disgrace. I mean, that's got to happen nearly 20 times in a season in order to get that adrenaline rush of staying up at the last minute. Uh, and yet, what were the crowds as last that last month of the season? They were, you know, 46, 47,000. People like that. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, re- realistically, you would like a relaxing season, probably. But on the other hand, that that Everton game, that Chelsea game, they they were brilliant for Sunderland fans. You know, if you, if you go into that Everton game, um, meeting mates, meeting other fans before the game, and they were still buzzing from from beating Chelsea three two. That that three two win over Chelsea was the most exciting thing that happened in well, probably since the League Cup on under Poyet. But you know, in, in in league terms, that was a that was a game people were always going to remember. It was it was you know hugely exciting and and and. You need context for that. Just beating Chelsea three two or a side like Chelsea three two only really means something if you desperately need the points. So I, I don't know. I think it's a it, it, it's it's a it's a paradoxical position that the teams like Sunderland are in. That in order to get a bit of excitement, you have to have the the pain and negativity first. We obviously talked about Sam Allardyce, uh, you know, quite a bit last season and how good a fit he seemed to be for the club. The fans took to him. And it just seemed like he was probably the right manager 
at that time for Sunderland. Would, does Moyes fall into that as well? Because even more so than with players, for a manager, it's almost all about how you fit in with a certain club. And the Sociedad thing just clearly didn't work out for him. Manchester United, whether it was too big, I don't know. Is Sunderland, the type of support they have and the stature of the club, about right for Moyes? Possibly. I mean, you're never quite sure. When a manager leaves a club where he's been for a long time, as Moyes was at Everton, um, you always wonder if he's going to be able to adjust to new circumstances. I think if you if you look at the vast majority of managers, their their useful lifespan at, at the top of their um, within their their own parameters is rarely more than a decade. And so, you know, somebody like Alex Ferguson is a massive outlier in that regard. And so that that's the concern that Moyes was good for that sort of ten, twelve years at Everton, uh, and then. You know, he, once he leaves the, the the comfort of that environment, he's unable to adjust. Uh, maybe United scarred him as well. So th- they're the concerns. He's certainly not going to have the the immediate appeal that Allardyce did. I mean, Allardyce, as a former player, uh, you know, gets that little bonus that the Moyes obviously didn't didn't have. Allardyce, I think, being a being a failed Newcastle manager. Um, I mean, maybe failure is the wrong word, but being somebody who who had an animus against Newcastle. That that clearly helped with Allardyce as well. So there was various things where I think Allardyce got a head start in that regard. He, Allardyce definitely was a was a, was a fit. You know, Southern fans don't don't particularly care anything about the style of football, uh, and so you know, there's almost a perverse pleasure in 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 winning things in an unattractive way. Um, so so I mean, yeah, maybe he will become more popular than Allardyce was. But that six months of Allardyce, to, you know, post post Christmas. He was as popular as any Sunderland manager I can remember since since Peter Reid. Maybe the very start of Martin O'Neill, but you know he, he, it's going to take a while for Moyes to get there. It looks as though I mean this is the good news I suppose for Sunderland for David Moyes. It looks as though already one of the three relegation spots is spoken for, and this is because Hull City, who still don't have a manager since Steve Bruce uh, left, walked out in strange circumstances, and basically haven't done anything at all. In the closed season, it's like the entire club it just seems to be in a state of paralysis at the moment. There's no, there's no signings. There's no uh, hint of a new manager. Uh, nothing is happening there. It's as though they've they've almost, almost already given up on the Premier League. Um, do you have any idea what's going on there? No, not at all. I find the situation utterly bizarre. I mean, I think Steve Bruce, um, yeah, he, he seems a fairly placid bloke when you meet him. You know, he's he's put up with nonsense from owners and this owner. In the past, so I mean, something's clearly properly annoyed him to to make him walk out, or something's made him think that you know that they do have no chance. He doesn't want that stain on his his um, his reputation. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think from the point of view the of, of the other sort of eight or nine teams who you expect to be battling it out at the bottom, Hull look doomed. Um, I mean, I, I think Zola is, appears to be the favourite to step in, but yeah, his record as a manager isn't isn't fantastic. Um, and, and the lack of signing, I mean, that, that squad is, is not a great squad. Uh, if DMA goes to Newcastle, which seem, seems possible, that's going, it's going to weaken it even further. So, so yeah, I, I think hey, I mean, the, the, these things can change. But at the moment, you're almost looking at a 19-team Premier League with, with, with Hull getting you know, 10, 20 points and, 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 and being relegated by, by February. <laughs> OK, it's a pretty grim outlook. Uh, fair enough. Jonathan, thank you. Cheers, thanks. OK, that's the worst case scenario for supporters of a team not even getting the battle just being relegated as you and Jonathan are predicting Hull City will be because the 
that that idea that we, that Jonathan touched on earlier on about Sunderland actually probably maybe being happier in some ways, Sunderland supporters, that mm. is. It is the case with fans sometimes that, you know, finishing 13th, there's not a huge amount of joy necessarily in that. But hurtling down towards relegation only to save yourself dramatically with some big wins against massive clubs towards the end of the season. Yeah. You remember that in 20 years' time. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a it, risky business, sure. It's it a is, tightrope. It's, it's living dangerously. I mean, it's exciting to, to sort of run across a motorway uh, as well, you know, in, in some respects. But it's not really constructive. Uh, I mean, Sunderland have to try to do a little bit better than that. I mean, it would be... I mean, Everton got into the Champions League under David Moyes. Okay, not for very long. Um, so maybe it's difficult to see a team of that kind of stature doing it this time. But then, you know, Leicester City are in the Champions League. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to just set your sights on fourth place or or fourth from bottom, rather. Um, And the point is that it's not just about what happens, what the big story of the season is. There's also every match. I mean, the better your team is the better those matches are going to be to watch. You know, the more of them you'll win, the more generally kind of exciting, excited you'll be about, about watching the team. Yeah, no harm getting the big Chelsea win earlier in the season, for example. Yeah. Or, or, or its equivalent, rather than waiting until you have to dig it out to survive. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. And, and when you look at it, this, there's a couple of... I mean, Hull, we've, we've mentioned Hull. Um, one team that I'm, I'm interested in this season or... This, this month to see what they're going to do is Everton because Everton obviously have a new manager Ronald Koeman has come in but uh, they haven't really done a lot now I don't really understand why not because remember that Everton were uh, were taken over um, by Farhad Mashiri um, and this is, you know, and the idea at the time was, oh, here's a here's a rich guy. I mean, no one is ever, no one is going to really do what Sheikh Mansour and Roman Abramovich did when they took over because nobody really has the money to do that anymore, unless you literally got somebody along the lines of Sheikh Mansour, you know, a man who's who's able to print his own money more or less. Uh, so it's not as though Mashiri is necessarily going to come in and start, you know, lashing out money on players. It's difficult to do that with financial fair play. Anyway, but I would have thought they would have done more than they have done so far, especially because um, it looks as though they're going to lose two of their biggest players. I mean, John Stones is, you know, everybody seems to think is going to go to Manchester City. And OK, they'll, they'll get a lot of money for John Stones. And Romelu Lukaku to Chelsea. And, you know, you lose Stones and Lukaku and suddenly you're kind of looking at the rest of that squad and thinking, What? exactly do they think is going to keep them in the Premier League here? You know, this is not really a strong squad anymore. Um, you take Lukaku out and it, it's the whole previous structure of the team is gone. And then Stones is the guy, I mean, okay, Stones didn't have a great season last year, but, you know, is is still one of their uh, main defenders. And they have brought in Ashley Williams. But I'm, I'm a little bit surprised because I would have thought that Moshiri taking over, while not immediately wanting to turn Everton into some kind of a mini a cargo cult sort of Chelsea or, or Man City would at least have wanted to establish them as a you know we're, we're the, stop thinking of us as the Everton that you previously categorised us as you know a kind of the chronically underfunded Everton who always are kind of oh, trying to make ends meet we're not actually in that situation anymore um May, you know, and it looks as though they're going to have to do a lot of business very late in the window. Okay, uh, because of the you know they haven't really done so much so far. A couple of Irish stories to wrap things up. Dundalk are playing their second leg tonight. That's Tuesday night against Bate Barza. Yeah, that's in Tala tonight. So um, obviously they'll be hoping to uh, get a decent result there. I mean, 
the away game has has usually been the problem, but I mean there must be a chance of of getting something decent out of them. But yeah, by all accounts in the away game, they uh, saw Stephen Kenny talking about it, and it was you know it's this classic thing where Irish team just defends as stoutly as they can because they're not getting they're not really producing anything of quality in attack against a, a superior team. But he said that wasn't the plan. It wasn't like they were going over to be defensive. It just didn't quite work out. And they, he doesn't feel they did themselves justice necessarily in terms of the football they can play. So you would think, I mean, this is uh, this is why I think fans in the League of Ireland have enjoyed them so much over the last couple of years. They they can play ball. So hopefully they will tonight rather than it being... So, well, they have to because they're 1-0 down from the away leg. So. Yeah, hopefully they do. That's quarter to eight anyway in Tala. And the other thing was Wes Houlihan has signed a new two-year contract with Norwich. So... Norwich obviously got relegated. It means he will be playing in the championship uh, this coming season. Is that good? Um, well, sorry, sorry, sorry. Good he's playing the championship. Is it a good move to stay with them? Well, you know, I mean, I, I think Hulin's problem is just his age. It's like Hulin has always, there's always been some problem with Hulin that has meant his career just hasn't kind of, he just hasn't had the kind of career when you look at it on paper that really has the sort of status that you think should go with a player of his ability. Previously, it was that, oh, him, you know, he's maybe he wasn't disciplined enough. Uh, certainly, he was never big enough. And now he's not young enough, uh, <laughs> which means that, you know, a, a kind of a bigger club than Norwich maybe isn't interested, even though uh, in terms of ability, I think he still maybe is, is too good for them. Not that, not that he's on the pitch every minute for Norwich. I suppose they have to ration his minutes as well. Maybe they don't think physically he's up to it. And sometimes they want a different type of player. Um, but as Alex Neal is saying, you know, more often than not, he's the one I turn to when I need someone to deliver something. And he never really lets me down. We've got another podcast out today featuring a really good chat with Donald McRae, the brilliant journalist, brilliant Guardian journalist and author who was inside the dressing room. He was at the Carl Frampton, Leo Santa Cruz, mega world title fight at the weekend. He was also inside the dressing room before and he had great access to Frampton before, during and after the fight, so uh, and I think he has always painted a pretty evocative picture for us a little bit earlier on. So do get a listen to that if you've got any time today or at any stage this week. We'll have another podcast out for you later on in the week as well. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you too, Al. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.